You're listening to the weekly podcast with Pastor Steve McCoy from 360 Church in Sarasota, Florida. We hope this message inspires you to press beyond ordinary. We continue to uh, yeah, can, uh, have this conversation, these conversations, and, uh, and from the first page of the book of Genesis. Uh, We have been in it in case you're coming in for the first time. We've been in uh, this conversation because we understand that it's so important for us to understand to to have a grasp of why God has made us. And once we can grasp why God has made us, we have a, a higher chance of living out the intentions of our creator. If we don't know why God made us or some of the designs that we have, most likely we're going to miss some things. So it has been just a, a foundational uh, path for us to return to the to Genesis chapter one. And so we have we've seen that God has created us to live. He's created us to grow. He's created us to umbilically depend on him. He's created us in the image of we spent a couple of weeks on we're created in the image of God, which means we're to be we're designed to be relationally. Uh, intimate and if we don't have that we'll be empty and we see that across our culture and so we've seen many different angles and so we continue with that today and and what is I believe a very relevant topic every person sitting in this room every person sitting in your home or at work or in your car or in the gym wherever you are right now listening online every person is multiplying in some way you are influencing somebody, even when you don't know it. It's kind of like you're, you're, radio, you're relationally radioactive, even though you may not see the radioactive waves. The key today, what we're going to see is not only that we are designed to multiply, but I think God reveals to us how we most multiply or most effectively multiply. So when we, when we look at the creation story and it begins... It seems like a wonderful thing. If you can put yourself in the mind and the shoes of of the creator, it wasn't only a miracle to create all these things, light and and, uh, water and and, uh, uh, living creatures in the water and, and cattle and sheep and mosquitoes and everything. But now after you at the, at the end of the sixth day, now you have even a more challenging problem. How do you keep it all going? How do you sustain this great creation that you have created? And, and without multiplication, we would only have one grove of trees that probably would have died out a long time ago. We would have only had two human beings, Adam and Eve. We would only had a certain number of cattle and they would have probably been extinct by now. And so God made every living thing with the capacity of making other things. I always like to ask these questions that probably we'll never find answers to, but does, is God still making, let's say, trees? And my answer is, I don't think he has to because of the way that he intrinsically designed every living thing with the capacity to make more of itself. So God doesn't say, oh, my goodness, I need to make more oak trees. No, he made oak trees that have acorns that drop to the ground to make more oak trees. So not only is the 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 creation of things from ex nihilo, from nothing, just a complete miracle, but the sustaining mechanism that he put in place is also miraculous. So when we look at creation, sometimes there is a, 
some people call it the law of first mention. I'm not sure I go that far, but it is interesting when, when words are first mentioned. What is fascinating is the word blessed is attached to multiplication when you see it in the scripture beginning in the first chapter of Genesis. In other words, the conclusion is that multiplication is a gift. It, it, it was an endowment. In other words, God said, I'm not, I'm not asking you to multiply. I'm giving you the gift of being able to multiply. Watch this. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 22, when God filled the, the seas with living creatures and the birds in the air, he said, God blessed them. That's the first mention of the word blessed. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the water in the seas and let the birds increase on the earth. It was a blessing. It wasn't just, it was, sometimes we're like, oh, it's a command of God. We, we got to multiply. No, it was a blessing. God said, hey, I'm giving you that capacity. When we look in Genesis chapter one, verse 28, Adam and Eve, God, here it is again, blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. In Genesis chapter nine and with Noah, as soon as he, he said, God blessed Noah and his son saying to them, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. When it came to uh, Genesis chapter 12 and Abram or Abraham, the Lord said to Abram, I will make you a great into a great nation and I will bless you with multiplication. Jacob wrestled with God in Genesis chapter 26. I will bless you and will increase the number of your descendants. In other words, it is a great blessing. It is a great gift that we have the capacity to make other people, uh, other things in our life to have to, to multiply it out. Today is the, for many people, including the McCoy family, it is uh, graduation day. And uh, our final, our youngest son graduates today. There are probably others of you that have, you know, sons or daughters or grandsons, granddaughters that, that are graduating this weekend. And I, I, I took a picture of our son on the last day of, of school. And, and he, he was just thrilled about that. Teenagers love for you to take their pictures. <laughs> And he stood beside the tree that we took the picture on his first day of school. And I look at him growing up, becoming a young man, as many of you guys have family. And I, and I just I was thinking this morning, I am I am proud of him. But there's it's it's deeper than that when it's your family. And you look at that replication, you look what your own son or your own daughter, or your own grandchildren have become. And, and in that, there is this great blessing. It's the same thing when we multiply. Jesus said in Matthew 28, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and I gift you. I bless you with the gift of multiplying. Go and make disciples. So many times we look at that great commission like, okay, we're commanded to do it. But when you think about what the outcome is, and when we see our own kids, whether they're physical or whether they're spiritual, if you've ever invested in another person and you see them investing and you see them investing, you think, God, thank you for the gift of, of, of multiplication. But here's where we go into perhaps a deeper side, especially for us as human beings. We're not only, of course, talking about physical multiplication, but spiritual multiplication. And there are times where we can mistake multiplication by just a transfer of information. 
here's what I know. I'm going to teach you what you know, like a carpenter would teach an apprentice, and therefore we've multiplied. But there is a deeper method. There is a deeper approach that God has put into creation that is the most powerful approach to multiplying, and it is the approach of observation. We multiply. This is what I said to you to, to begin with. We are all multiplying in some way. Let me read you a couple of scientific things. We'll go into the classroom here. Britannica says this. Animals often benefit from watching another member of their species perform a particular task. Observation in natural settings, for example, reveals that young chimpanzees intently watch their elders perform intricate tasks. This suggests that learning by observation is very common in certain species and some species. For example, cheetahs, when they are learning to hunt, I know this is going to be a little gross, but the, the mom goes out and hunts the, the, the prey. But, then, but the cheetah mom doesn't kill the prey. The cheetah just grabs that prey in her mouth and she brings it back to the cubs and releases it and lets them kill the prey. Thanks be to God. Great to see you. We'll have next, let's talk about animals killing animals. In other words, it is by observation. Cheetahs don't have a manual on how to hunt. And God has put this, the multiplication method is by observation. One person said this, we can teach what we know, but we can only reproduce who we are. So when we go to reproduce ourselves, we must understand that our words only are have a certain limitation. It is your life that matters. This really comes into play, by the way, when you do have teenagers and you tell them how to drive. And then they notice that you're not driving like you're telling them how to drive. It's very irritating. You know, you just rolled that stop sign. You know, okay, I'm driving, you're not. When you get to my age and you've driven as long as I can, you can roll every stop sign and not come to a full stop, right? That's what we tell our kids. But there's that moment where they have had, you have told them something, but it only goes so far because they're observing. Check this out. There are some sociologists that did a, a, uh, an experiment. You know what I mean by a light box? It's like you can press it and it comes on. Sometimes the artists will use it as a light box. And they brought some kids in. They were about two years old. And all the parents went in. And instead of pressing the light box with their hand, they did it with their head. They gave the light bo box a headbutt. It's the only way. That it's the first time these kids have ever seen a light box. So for all they knew, that's how you cut the light box on with your head. Well, guess what they did? They started cutting the light box on with their head. This is the power and the curse, the blessing and the curse. So we began by saying, hey, there's a blessing, but there's also a curse. Now, when God created all living things in Genesis chapter 1, verse 11, watch what he says. This is extremely important. For those of you that are multiplying, that are parents, that are grandparents, that are teachers, that are at work, every single person is multiplying. This is critical to understand. In Genesis 1.11, then God said, let the land produce vegetation, 
seed-bearing plants and the trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it according to their various kinds. It seems like those two words are so unimportant, but I would say to you that they're critical. In other words, banana trees make banana trees. Orange trees make orange trees. Sparrows make sparrows. What happens is then it completely obliterates this evolutionary nonsense where species jump species. God said, no, I have created these things to make of their own kind. So our behavior then produces our behavior in other people. In other words, we tell people that uh, watch what I do. Don't listen to what I say because they're going to watch what you do. I was reading about hummingbirds this week. I have such an exciting life. And, uh, I'm, and the hummingbirds, some of them have tutors. And I don't know if you've ever seen a hummingbird. Back in Virginia, we used to have this, these, uh, we call them trumpet vines. And the, and the hummingbirds would come, and it was just fascinating to watch them. And then they would kind of hover over this bloom and, zip, you know, kind of come in and out, come in and out, come in and out. But they have tutors within their, whatever they're called. I don't know what, what's, a, what's a group of uh, hummingbirds. Herds, flocks. I don't know. Let's go with flocks. Flocks of hummingbirds. Within the flock, there's a, there's a tutor. And the ones that do not have a tutor, cannot feed properly in our Christian church culture we have a great absence of tutors but the sadder thing is that many people if I might step on your toes many of you are qualified tutors and they're people in the flock that are desperately needing not only your voice not only your knowledge, but your experience and your character. This is why I encourage people for those that say, oh, I'm not qualified to be a, a disciple maker. Oh, let me tell you, if you have come to Christ, you already have a story. If you have walked with Christ, you already have a path. If you are walking with Christ, you have a rhythm. You are a hummingbird. You are a tutor, and God can use you. Watch this. First Timothy, Peter, uh, Paul says to Peter, uh, Timothy, one of those guys. Paul says to Timothy, <laughs> I was shown mercy, Timothy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus, might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. You know what's so encouraging about that? Just if we can keep that up, watch. What Paul is saying, hey guys, I'm not perfect. But as I'm living out an imperfect, broken, fractured life in rhythm with God, God is showing others not how great I am, but how great his patience is through a broken person. There is nothing wrong with the tutor saying, I don't have that all together yet, but look at the patience of God walk, working through me and in that we are reproducing not our greatness, but the greatness of God. Al Albert Schweitzer said this, example is not the main thing in influencing others. It is the only thing. Many of you know I have a background in music. 
when you get to a certain level of study from from my freshman year in college on actually in high school i had went to a kind of a prep school for music you go into your piano lesson and uh, some of you may have had piano lessons you come in there's the piano sitting there and the teacher sitting in a little chair beside you know that jazz but when you get to a certain level there is not one piano so for many many years i'm taking piano lessons and there's always two pianos and the reason that there's two pianos is that you you get to a certain level that it's not enough to say, Johnny, you missed the F sharp. The teacher shows you. So no, 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 like this. Nope, like this. And those actions mean more than just words. Make sense? My last teacher, she was a tremendous artist, played in Carnegie Hall and all this stuff. And before every concert, she would come backstage and she would, she would do this and not say a word and walk off. Because when you're performing, your enemy uh, is stiffness and nerves. And when you're getting ready to perform, whether, whether, you're, whether you're an athlete or whatnot, it's, you have this tendency like, oh, you know, that's why at the very you know, opening of the Super Bowl, everybody's kind of blowing it until they kind of warm up and get, you know, and as a musician, the worst thing you can do is be like, you know, uptight. You have to kind of relax into it. And she didn't even have to say a word, just like this. And Christ comes to us and says, let me show you how to live. What if Jesus had not come? He came to multiply by showing. He showed us how to react he showed us how to love. He showed us how to have mercy. He showed us how to invest in others. I'm so grateful that Christ didn't come down for a weekend seminar. He came three and a half years and he said, this is how you multiply. You invest in a slow motion pacing. It is the way that we invest in others. Well, with every good thing, there's a bad thing. And the challenge is that as we started this conversation this morning, we said, hey, it is a blessing to multiply. But let's face it, multiplying can also be a curse. What do I mean by that? Well, uh, I'm going to take us to 1 Samuel chapter 8. For those that don't know the story, uh, in the early part of the Old Testament was considered a theocracy. That means God was their king. But as time rolled out and the Israelites began to see other nations, they said, hey, we want to we mirror them. We'd like to be like them. Even though they were falling apart, we still like to be like them. And so they came and said, hey, we want to be, in 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 20, he said, we want a king over us. God apparently wasn't good enough. And we, then we will be like all other nations. But when you read deeper in the story, it wasn't that they just wanted to be like other nations. It was what was happening within their own nation was something they didn't want to mimic. They didn't want to mirror. They didn't say they were like, hey, we hear all the words and all your regulations of the law, but we're seeing something different. What do I mean by that? Watch in first Samuel chapter eight. Samuel the, uh, grew old, the prophet. He appointed his sons as judges for Israel. But his sons did not walk in his ways. 
They turned aside after dishonest gain. They accepted bribes and they perverted justice. There was corruption at the highest level. So all the elders gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. And they said to him, you are old and your sons are blowing it. They're corrupt. They do not walk in your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us such as all the other nations have. So let me step on our toes for just a bit. I grew up in a church culture where we had church dinners every week. We had adult Sunday school classes. I I remember sitting in with my dad. And in between Sunday school class and and, uh, church, the Sunday school class uh, teachers and and adult men, I'd go out there with them while they smoked in between services. And they told crass jokes, if I just to be honest with you. And all along, this tender plant is taking all this in. I'm like, this is a joke. This is the, I don't, if this is what God is about, then I don't want to be part of it. Because what they were doing was multiplying a behavior and a, an output that like, wow, I don't want anything to do it. So like many baby boomer, boomers, when I left home, I left church. Because as I, you know, teenagers already have that kind of a, I want to be independent, but it was beyond that. I didn't want to be independent because my friends were independent. I wanted to be independent because I didn't like that. And if we're not careful, we have to, we, then what we'll say, we're going to multiply. If we're a church that just becomes lukewarm, if we're a church that just is myopic, if we're a church that doesn't do what we've done this morning and look to the world because God sees the world, if we only become a church just like every church that we, you know, that, that, that just can be that ritual, then nobody around us will want what we're trying to multiply. Does that make sense? Now, I know that's tough. I know that's tough. But I do believe it's important to say, look, We individually, but as a church family, are also radiating out something, whether we don't, whether we like it or not. So I'm proud of this church family. I'm proud that that that, you know, we've had people come in in the last week. You you didn't know it. And they they've been looking at, hey, uh, how do you and they've been so impressed that anybody even comes since we don't have a big building, a big church with a steeple on it. I'm like, that's my church family. And I love you for that. Look, church is not about property. Church is not about programs. Church is not about personality who stands up front. Church is not about just our friendship. Church is the light of the world that brings the gospel to those in our own community and around the world, from our corner to the corner of the world. And the minute we lose sight of that, then we are multiplying in a curse rather than multiplying in a blessing. And I love you. And I love you. Eight of us are excited, very excited about that. There's something that, you know, I love to look at science and how God has made things and as little as I can understand, but I did a little study this week. And there's a fascinating thing in our brain called mirror 
neurons, mirror neurons. So <laughs> you smiled back. <laughs> That's because you almost didn't. I was a little nervous <laughs> after that. <laughs> like, you're like, I think he's lost his mind or something. <laughs> mirror neurons is that thing when I smile at you, do you smile back? It is possible that we didn't have any of this kind of wiring, but God has wired us in such a way that we do mirror one another. Watch this. Science tells us these facts. We know that imitation starts soon after birth. Think about that. It's between 19 and 24 months that children start to copy many things they see in others. Children imitate adults to excess. Think about that. This over-imitation occurs during the first five years of life. This means that they do not yet possess a critical sense to conclude whether what adults do or say is appropriate, useful, or moral. Leave it up there for a second. Watch this. I want you to think of the, this scientific reality through the spiritual lenses of new believers. New believers. Because when a new believer comes into the scene and into the flock of God, then if we don't pray, they think that's the way it is. If we're not excited about worship, if we're not excited about the word of God, then they think that's the norm. It was my very first disappointment as a new Christian. Man, I was on fire. I was raw. I was the guy in Boston standing on a corner with, with the Mr. Mike and a bag of gospels, a brown bag of gospels. You know, I was the guy that was offensive and hadn't got the diplomacy down yet, right? The church was going to have its first all-night prayer meeting. I'm like, dude, I, you know, if there were a Walmart around, I would have gotten knee pads. I'm like, dude, let's go all night. Yes. When I showed up for the all-night prayer meeting, there was a pastor who was about 70 and his wife who was about 170. <laughs> I'm like, where's the church? I was the infant, man. I was on fire. And we prayed, the pastor prayed, and it was eloquent. And then the pastor's wife prayed, it was eloquent. Then they came to the new guy. Hey, God, how's it going? <laughs> Amen. That's all I had. Because <laughs> the little hummingbird was there to learn from my tutors. And after 18 minutes, they said, well, let's go ahead and go home. <laughs> I was all night. I would have kept saying, hey, God, how's it going? All night. It's all I had. I was hoping to see fire as a new baby. When you look at these words, they're stunning. Now, can we just set all of our clutter aside of how to do disciple making this that, and the other can we just set it aside and can we agree that when God said go make disciples he knew what he was talking about because people are desperately in need to get their feet solid I just did a, a research project 
And of all our people, about 30 locations all around the world, Middle East, Latin America, all over the world, I said, tell me about your culture when it's undiscipled. It was stunning. From Meaning, if a person comes to Christ and they remain undiscipled, what happens in your culture? Oh, there's the Orthodox Church. There's the Catholic influence. There's the there's legalism. There's uh, immoral tribal uh, uh, activity. There's they because they bring it in. When we come to Christ, we still have dirt on our shoes. We don't know any better. And it's so critical. Multiplying is a gift. Multiplying is an endowment. Multiplying, watch this. This is so powerful. We end with this. Second Timothy chapter 3, last written document we have from the Apostle Paul. He said, but mark me, Timothy, mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, ungrateful, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Having a form of churchiness of godliness, but denying its power. It seems dismal until you keep reading down and we get to verse 10. He says, you, however, Timothy, you know about my teaching. You've seen it. You've heard it. You know about my way of life, my purpose, my faith, my patience, my love, my endurance. You know about the persecutions. You know the sufferings. What kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, Lister, the persecutions I have done, yet the Lord has rescued me. See, Timothy, you're seeing this kind of churchiness going on, but look here. So identify people in your life that you think, man, I want to be like them. Otherwise, if you're not careful, the lukewarmness of our current church culture will take you down. Find someone that you say, I want to be like you. I want to share the gospel like you. I want to invest in others like you. I want to pray like you. And I'm pointing to real people in this room, by the way. People that, that I look to and like, man, I want, to, I, want, I want to be more like that. It's so important. Let me just end with this saying, and I think, I think it's good to leave with. Sometimes, if you want to change a man's mind, you have to change the man, mind of the man next to him first. This is the power of multiplication. If I say I want to change Michael, I may have to change the mind of Ernie first. Who's going to change the mind of Michael? This is the power of disciple making. This is the power of multiplying. Multiplying is a gift. Be blessed and fill the earth. That was a gift from God. Let me pray with you. Father, thank you for this time that we have heard from Ukraine. We've heard from you. We've been settled, perhaps even unsettled by your Holy Spirit in a way, God, that gets our attention. Father, we need each other. We need you, but we need each other, God. And you've given us this gift of multiplying. I know there are people sitting in this room. I know there are people that are sitting at home right now that have enough uh, 
distance and in, in their walk with you, that you're calling them to be multipliers, and not just to live the rest of their life as receivers. Father, I pray specifically for this church family. Awaken us, God, to your call. Awaken us to your purposes. Awaken us to your work, God. That we'll be on fire. People are watching. People are watching. Help us to to take this deeply, to bake it in deeply today. That we would say even of ourselves individually, people are watching. Our kids are watching. Our spouses are watching. Our neighbors are watching. Our coworkers are watching. Other church members are watching. If we're discipling, our disciples are watching. If we're in a group, our group team, our members are watching. They're watching our consistency. They're watching our generosity or, or the lack thereof. They're watching our attitudes. They're watching our priorities. They're watching all of our lives, God. We are radiating, whether we know it or not. So in this moment, Father, once again, we surrender to you because that's, that is possible. It is possible to surrender to you for you to do the impossible in our lives. In and of ourselves, God, we can never walk the walk. We can only surrender our lives to you and let you work through us. So here we are. We surrender. I wonder how many people would just whisper that to you right now from their heart to yours. I surrender, God. I recognize that I'm radiating with the gift of multiplication. I'm multiplying somehow. I surrender. I wonder how many people are here today. I wonder, even sitting at home, maybe you're sitting on your couch, your kitchen table, sitting in your in the front seat of your car. And for the first time, unexpectedly, you you are resonating with a connection from God and you're and you've never given your heart, your life to Christ. Listen carefully. God loved you so much he gave his only boy, his only son, Jesus, to come and to understand us, to love us, to show us, to explain the Father. But he came as the perfect Lamb of God to lay his life on a cross that you could find a way to God through him to die for our sins, our brokenness, our mistakes. Through the, through the blood of the perfect Lamb, we come to God and say, God, here I am, fractured and perfect. I'm a sinner. And I want to be right with you. I wonder if that's you. I wonder if you deeply connect with those words. And if you do, it is not a revelation of your own. It is God revealing himself and inviting you to himself. So what do I do, you might ask? Listen. 
It's the most important decision of your entire life. Trust me. You come and acknowledge, God, I am imperfect. If you can't make it that far, you'll not recognize your need for God, for a Savior. Your first step, I acknowledge. I'm broken, God. I'm imperfect. And I acknowledge that you are not, that you are perfect. Whatever I'm trusting in, God, religion, trying to be a better person, all that, I set it aside and I trust in Christ alone. Would that be your prayer? I trust in Christ alone. And I'm coming, God, and I'm exchanging my old life. And in return, I'm asking for a new life from Christ. Forgiven and ignited on fire from within, on the inside out. Would that be your prayer? God, I want your new life in me. I turn in my old life. I turn 180 degrees towards you. I don't want to drive my life anymore. Would that be your prayer? You speak to him in your own raw language. Oh God, I want to be right with you. When I lay my head down tonight, I want to know that all is right with my creator. So I trust in Christ alone. Listen, listen carefully. Christ is the only way. He was the only lamb of God. It's not your behavior. It's not your religion. It's not your spirituality. It's Christ alone that makes you right with God. Won't you trust him now? Wherever you're, wherever you're sitting right now, I trust in Christ alone. Thank you today, Father, for multiplying your life in us, for bringing us new life. Thank you, Father, for your word. It sometimes comforts us, and sometimes it kicks us right in the bridges. And we need that, God. Awaken us. Thank you for joining us. And special thanks for those of you who give generously to make this ministry possible. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can also subscribe or share it with your friends. For more information about 360 Church, visit us at the360church.com.